hey, hey, this is Claire, and you're listening to the Integrally Alive podcast, where we sparkle life and go from alive-ish to alive. And today I'm super happy and super thrilled to be with Nicole Gibson. And, well, hello, Nicole. Hey, Claire. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Um, so, Nicole, she's an international speaker and a multi-award-winning social entrepreneur. 18, she established a not-for-profit and still is the chief executive officer of the Rogue and Rouge Foundation, which she grew to be sustainable, which she grew to sustainability while completing two national speaking tours. She was a finalist for the youngest Australian of the year, 20 years old. At 21, she was appointed to the Australia's Commissioner for Mental Health and listed as one of the Australia's top 100 most influential women shortly after taking out the Pride of uh, Australia medal. She made the front cover of the Financial Review, the Yellow Pages, and featured in a documentary aired on primetime national television. And she has facilitated workshops and presentations with over a quarter of a million Australians on a mission to uniting communities, shifting corporate cultures, and empowering individuals. Where this did you find my bio? <laughs> <laughs> on the website, you yeah, research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this lady, this woman at 25, has a resume that many in the, in the 40s would dream of. <laughs> but really, really, she's an embodiment of love, an unstoppable messenger of love and human potential. She's a fierce ambassador for mental health, innovation and connection. After recovering from her own experience with anorexia nervosa for teenage years. And well, in your own words, mental health is said to be the world's leading health epidemic since 2020. By 2020. Oh, by 2020, mm. sorry. And suicide. So time. Yeah. <laughs> but still, and suicide is the leading killer in Australia. I was shocked to read that. Western world, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know in France, for sure, it's not the leading cause of death for adults, but mm. it is the second cause for teenagers. Yeah, wow. Which is creepy. Yeah. Like, it's really, um, it's really terrible. And so you continue, uh, it's more obvious than ever that our current, current approach to mental health is too rigid, yay, mm. and denies people space to account for their own unique quirks and uniqueness, and I couldn't say better. So that's why I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to meet her, and I'm so thrilled that you're here, Nicole. Thanks, Claire. So, and Claire's a therapeutic, um, a therapeutic... <laughs> therapeutic coach? Coach. I love that. A therapeutic coach. We definitely need more therapeutic coaches, that's for sure. So today we will talk about mental health, depression, isolation, rate of passage, acknowledgement, the power of community and the connection, and more than anything, love. Amazing. My favourite topic. <laughs> yeah. Now we'd like to begin with the... Uh, this theme, the rite of passage. Mm. Uh, so a few days ago, I was at a workshop you did here at Mind Valley University, mm. and I saw you, like what, in ten minutes, dropping everyone in a space of love, vulnerability, open-hearted. That was amazing, and you did that just by what you embody, without even saying the word love or you know, let's take a deep breath, all these <laughs> kind of things. Yeah. So. Let's <laughs> tell us more about these rites of, uh, of passage. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I guess uh, the, f the first thing to, s to speak to in uh -huh. is um, I really do believe that you can't, you can't try to drop people into a space. Yes. You know? and, and the more that you try, it's like it, it forces people and through force you can't, it doesn't feel organic or natural. You know, nature doesn't force itself. Mm -hmm. And um, part of my message is to understand that love is our nature. So it has to be natural. And, you know, for me, I am very much of the idea that if a speaker is making it feel forced, then it's going to feel contrived and the, the person doesn't have a breakthrough. So it's also like rites of passage is about understanding that um, there's going to be a perfect time in a space like that for someone to have a breakthrough. And maybe it's actually not about getting a breakthrough for every single person, but trusting that through flow mm -hmm. and, and creating a beautiful space, the right people will have that breakthrough. And the thing about that is when, you know, part of my philosophy is that we're all connected, right? Not even philosophy, it's, it's science, it's proven. But if you can get that one person or that one person that's ready to mm -hmm. have that breakthrough, you know, there was a woman in our session yeah. that was really ready to have that breakthrough. Yeah. What happens then is everyone sees themselves 
in that person and they simultaneously have a breakthrough as well. So I guess the first principle of rites of passage is to understand that there's power in a community of people and by one person being vulnerable that activates vulnerability in, in every other person and I, th I, th I think you can't tell someone to be vulnerable. Yes, definitely. And yeah, so that starts by me sharing and I think through that sharing and it's just being honest, you know, to speak to whatever you're feeling in that moment, that's vulnerability and be honest about that and um, as soon as you feel like you're going to force and push to actually be just mindful of that and bring yourself back and realise I've got nothing to prove in this space. It's not about that. It's about demonstrating what I wish you guys to experience and that I think gives people permission because there's no worse feeling than, oh, I have to try to be vulnerable. Mm. It's, it's the worst feeling. So I think, yeah, that's the first principle and tribes always knew this. You know, think about when we were existing in tribes, we wouldn't come around the campfire and um, do these practices that felt really jarring and, and sort of contrived. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that. It was community were together and however you were feeling, you're allowed to, you're allowed to be that. Yeah, well, so let's talk about more, uh, more about that, actually, because mm. this is something we lost, right? Mm. For myself, I was really much against this kind of tribal organization where, mm. you know, women and men have a definite role. And, sure. But actually, uh, after living in Africa for some time and mm. then after going with the Maoris for some time, I realized mm. this is a force yeah. that we lost. Today, we lost a kind of sense of who we are in the society. It's very mm. much individual. Yeah, but then we lose the connection mm. and we lose our place in society. We don't know how mm. to behave, what we absolutely to do. Identity and, and belonging. And it's, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So you're bringing that back in... Um, For sure. I, th I think um, it doesn't have to be anymore. <clears throat> in, a, in a modern day context, it doesn't have to be so... So rigid. Rigid, yeah. Mm. It doesn't have to be like, this is the job of a man, yeah. this is the job of a woman. But maybe we can bridge that, that gap that exists between total individualism, mm -hmm. capitalism and Western philosophies with um, understanding that we actually have an interdependence. And for me, that's why and I, th I remember speaking about it in the workshop, perception is so powerful. If we can honour each other's perception, then that creates a sense of belonging because I'm not going to be able to see the world the way that you see the world. Mm -hmm. And it's incomparable, you know, and that means that there's equal value that I can learn as much from you as much as you can learn from me and that's the same for everyone in the tribe. So I think that's where we can start to anchor that, that sense of tribe and that sense of community is when we can just honour that each other's individuality has something valuable for mm -mm. the group and it's not so, okay, you're a woman so you just have to have the children and harvest the food and you're a man so you have to um, hunt. You know, we can be more liberal and more... Um, open with mm. what that looks like, but still have that sense of togetherness. And then everyone has a voice as well. I mean, mm. that's something else I saw in these tribes. First, uh, first hand, I was, uh, was thinking that okay, you just have your role and you cannot step out of it. Mm. But actually, it's also a force of I know who I am, and yeah, so I can power. step up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the power to yeah. know. Okay, I know who I am. I know what I'm doing there. So yeah. I have a voice. Yeah, and it's worth hearing. And that's we. That's something we lack so much in uh, in today's uh, world. Absolutely, and like conform, like it's interesting because in a world that puts so much significance on individuality, mm -hmm. there's actually so much conformity because we're yes. all trying to be like the person that's most yeah. individual, and that's the most. It's the craziest thing ever. So we lose our voice in the pursuit of trying to be like that person who's the most individual. Mm -hmm. And I think I actually said this. We don't realize a lot of the time that the people who are celebritized are actually the ones that have, are the most okay with actually speaking their truth and they're the most unapologetic about, mm. about who they are. But we're never going to get to that level by copying them. We've got to find our own equivalent to that. Mm. Yeah, it's the craziest thing, right? Mm. We adore that, yeah. then we are uh, kind of fun of <laughs> yeah. these people, but we would never dare to do that. Yeah. And why do... So, one thing I really appreciate in, in what you do is you put back the mental health in a global and community um, mm. background. Yeah. Because so much of it is today has to do with the person only and then yeah. maybe including the family, but we never get to see the global picture. And totally. I do, I really do believe that 
with depression and, and mental health being the first problem, first health problem in the world today, mm. there has to be some problem in society. It cannot Absolutely. be just individual. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally agree. And like it was um, the what that's what spurred me to want to start Rogan Rouge so young because I would look at that landscape and that mm -hmm. global picture and just think, how is this not being talked about? How do we still believe that this is a biological issue, yeah. a predisposition yeah. when you know, it's 50% of the West are going to battle with their mental health. That's not biological. Mm -mm. That's To me, that just screams there is a, there's something going on with our culture. And there's something that's actually hurting us on an emotional level. And it makes sense, right? If you're exposed to the level of stress and the level of anxiety and, you know, some of the things that are happening in the world and the way our politicians speak to each other, unless you feel a sense of anxiety, I would actually argue that you're desensitized yeah. to what's going on <laughs> so often and i experience this a lot in my work and maybe i'm sure you do as well it's actually the people that are the most sensitive yeah that are the ones that get impacted the most yeah. and then society sort of puts them in the too hard basket and adopts the attitude well you just need to harden up and something that i'm really passionate about challenging is just because we have awareness campaigns like we have a lot of awareness campaigns now in australia mm -hmm. to promote that mental health is, is a problem and you need to be more tolerant and understanding but I don't really believe that just by knowing that this is a problem it doesn't give us the ability to create a solution because if we have a campaign in Australia we have a campaign called are you okay day and you're meant to ask your friends you know are you okay mm -hmm. how are you going check in and that that's great but what if your friend turned to you and actually said well I'm actually feeling suicidal yeah how equipped are you as an individual to handle that. That's why a big part of my, my message and my work is actually helping people be comfortable in their own vulnerability. Yes. Because if you're comfortable in your own vulnerability, you can be with someone in their vulnerability and you're not going to feel that, okay, I'm actually really your friend saying I'm suicidal or I'm feeling really a, a lot of pain. It's not going to make you retract. Mm -hmm. You can actually be with them in that. And that is the best community intervention that we can have doesn't mean you have to be a qualified therapist or a professional, but to, to not be afraid, to not let the fear mm -hmm. of that situation actually rule and to, to be present with people in that. Well, so you're touching on many, mm. many subjects here, but what we, we begin with. One really important thing is I, I see, and I'm personally touched by, by that, so many people when they are down, they don't, they don't dare to, mm. to say it. Mm. We feel... Well, there's a sense of isolation, mm -hmm. there's the pain, but then there's a kind of shame within yeah, which is even worse than pain. pain. We, can, which, we can process well, pain. We, we can... change this into suffering then. Yeah. And then there's a kind of guilt that yeah. tops it, and that's, that's it. So yeah. it goes back to reinforcing isolation, which yeah. increases 100%. the pain, and so on and so on. And it doesn't, it yeah. never goes out of its vicious cycle. This is a cycle that so many people are in subconsciously <clears throat> as well. And I think that that's not talked about enough. That no, definitely not. Yeah, they think about the shame that we hold in, in many different areas of our life. You know, not just achievement, um, like we were talking about before, promoted by individualism, but I think a lot of women especially hold shame around their, their sexuality and the way that yeah. they identify with the world. And, and these things are genuinely affecting people's mental health. But a lot of the time, I actually think it was one of the speakers that said, we don't actually understand how good we're meant to feel. You know, we yeah. don't understand how amazing we actually can feel mm. and liberated we can feel both in our physical health but also our mental and emotional mm -hmm. health and these cycles like you just described of the guilt and the shame and feeling like you can't talk like if if there's an, an aspect of your life and this is to all of you guys where you feel like you can't speak up and speak clearly and communicate about that thing that's coming from a place of, of shame or guilt yeah. or um <clears throat> You know, fear of judgment or regret, but it's definitely coming from a place in you that's holding you back. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But why is it then, how can we change that when to go from, oh yeah, you're expressing pain, I don't know how to handle it, so I just pretend I didn't hear you, I, I yeah. go to rejection. Freeze up. Yeah. And then that person withdraws more. Exactly. And maybe so wakes how... up the next day and pretend that that conversation never happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we come from there to, okay, I see you, I listen to you, I, and maybe I don't know how to help you, but yeah. 
and actually understanding that just acknowledging and listening mm. is already a big, big exactly. part of the, of and the help. It's the first, I mean, there's, I'm very passionate about this. So the first thing is to understand that you have... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <Me too>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I really, I very much disagree with the idea that you need to be a professional yeah. to know how to support another human being. Yeah. You're qualified just because you're a human being. But often you've spent so long rejecting and avoiding your own vulnerability mm -hmm. that you haven't shown yourself just how powerful of an influence you can be in yeah. someone else's healing journey. And I saw this as a facilitator. I wasn't qualified, but simply by facilitating and holding a space, people were healing. And I, I saw this mm -hmm. and I started the first step was to start to change the response in that moment when someone was being vulnerable. And I would notice it because I was in so much pain in my teenage years. As I started to come out of that, I could see pain in other people mm -hmm. so easily because yes. I could identify it. Yeah. But I still had this part of me that was retracting. I don't, I don't want to go back there. I've, I've just come mm. out of that. I don't want to go back in that pain. But whatever you resist and whatever you avoid is actually still affecting you on mm -hmm. some level. So when I really started to um, understand meditation and presence you know, and, and breath and all of these concepts, they weren't just nice ideas, they actually became lifetime techniques and tools that once I'm with someone in their vulnerability, I, instead of rejection, it started to be like, what is it about this that's making me feel uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of yeah, the day, good question. this is not my pain, mm -mm. so why am I... If this person's in pain and I'm okay, why is it affecting me so much? And when I started to inquire, I started to realize, wow, this person's pain is actually triggering something that I haven't resolved mm -hmm. in myself. And the more I did that work on myself and, and started to be more free with, with what I would talk about and express myself and be more open, I started to realize that I could have so many different types of conversations and actually not feel triggered anymore. And just by the ease of normalizing yes. that experience for someone else, they were able, the people, and still today, that, that come to me to have these conversations, and often it's not even in work, it's just friends and sometimes even strangers, mm -hmm. just by normalizing it and being curious instead of hesitating and becoming judgmental, you create this amazing space for exploration. Mm -hmm. And to bring that full circle to rites of passage, the middle component of a transformation or a rite of passage is that inquiry. So to drop people into that space is simply just by allowing what it is they're saying without the retraction mm -hmm. and the resistance. And then, that, then they can start to inquire. And usually, well, I think always, we have our own answers. We, we're intelligent. You know, we know on... on uh, on a neurological, biological, physiological level, we know how to heal. But unless you have the space to heal, yeah. it's like the caterpillar can't become the butterfly unless it has the chrysalis. Yeah. So we rob people of the chrysalis all the time. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, because yeah. we don't know how to hold the space. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And you're touching on, on a very important subject, I'll be with you, but about, I mean, I see it all around us, that society, and I see my clients when they come, they kind of give me the power to fix them. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't give me that power. That's yeah. your power. <laughs> you can do yeah. that. I don't even know if I can fix you, yeah. but you certainly can. Yeah. And and I don't blame them for that because our society in general gives this idea of, oh, you have to be an expert to understand. So you have to be a psychologist to yeah. understand uh, men or... or Which know just how feeds the significance of that industry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the ego. And I say that with a lot of respect you know there's a lot of therapists and yeah. science that are on my facebook but you have a very beautiful um piece of that puzzle but i, I do know from my lived experience that there's so much more to that puzzle mm -hmm. you have techniques and tools to help people understand their psychology and reframe their psychology or heal their emotions but ultimately what we need to consolidate all of that progress is acknowledgement from the from yes. the people around us, and to um, feel like we're allowed to actually become a different version of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Because what I so what you did in your in your workshop and mm. what is so relevant to society is everyone is like feeling. So we all have our, our own stories, but it's mm. all of, always a variation of I'm not enough and I'm mm. I'm feeling um, empty or so on and mm. and 
I don't dare to share it because they're going to reject me, I'm going to be stupid, I'm going to be etc. Mm. etc. So we don't dare to go to vulnerability. Yeah. But the crazy thing is, we, we are <laughs> all silently doing yeah. the same. Exactly the same. And it, feeling the same just, thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it just takes one person speaking up. Yeah. And it's immediate relief. Exactly. Oh. And to see everyone oh, wow. say, oh, actually, me too, and then me too, and me too, and me too. Mm -hmm. And that's what you did in your, in your workshop. And that's the power of yeah. knowledge and giving, giving a voice. Absolutely. It's like speaking to the elephant in the room. Yeah. yeah if you've heard that. And it's... um. The elephant in the room, as soon as you start speaking to it, it starts to get smaller and smaller mm. and smaller and then and then eventually there's actually no tension in the space. Yeah. If you can minimize tension in the space, and the best way to minimize tension in the space is to minimize the tension in yourself. We can all do that. If you're feeling tension, just start start asking, take yourself through your own therapeutic process. Why do I feel this? For me it's you know, what is it about my ego that's getting triggered? What is it about this vulnerability that's affecting me, that's making it really difficult for me to speak up? And when I take myself through that process, and it's a muscle, you get better and better at it, and you find your own breakthrough internally, mm. then you can speak to it, and as soon as you speak to it, everyone else will immediately jump on board, because everyone's just waiting for, for someone. Yeah, that's what's know. crazy, right? Yeah. Everyone is silently waiting for that, yeah. but no one will dare to, to make the first step yeah. unless something happens yeah so it can be a workshop like this or sometimes a big big pain yeah which yeah, is totally. you know the moment of no okay choice. that's enough now i'm i have to do something else yeah i like would love this. i would love people to understand that it doesn't have to doesn't have to be great amounts of suffering yeah as a catalyst for transformation yeah Actually, that's one of, uh, someone asked me the other day, we were talking about post-traumatic growth and how mm. pain can actually be uh, an asset, become, be, become an asset if you really allow it and go sure. through it. But then he, he was asking, so do I need to experience pain to grow? Mm. <laughs> I think resistance, you need to experience resistance, yeah. right? There's, there's a differentiation because resistance is crucial for growth, right? Like, mm. like at the gym, you need to... Um, you need to actually take to build on muscles, yeah, yeah. In, order to, in order to grow. But it's um, it's your relationship with pain that I think changes the way that you experience pain. Mm. It was a massive breakthrough for me to realize that I'm actually not my pain. To de-identify, yes, um, and not make that pain as significant, and to respect it and honor it as a part of my journey. But as soon as you're in pain, especially if you're in severe pain and you've yeah. never been through a healing process, or it's the first time maybe you're experiencing a mental illness, <clears throat> and you just think like, this is so consuming, I can never be anything other than this. And that's a very dangerous place because it becomes your identity. Yeah. There's, this bond, there's this bonding. And I think yeah. I referenced the difference, and I love it because you... Um, French is your first language, right? But oh yeah, commit. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the, the com committing suicide yes. and how that's not actually a term in French, yeah, but yeah, also yeah. the way you speak about um, emotion and the experience of emotion, the translation of this is passing through me, depression is passing through me rather than I am. Yeah. The I am statement that we use in English, I am depressed. Well, we actually, we have the same problem in, in French language. Oh, really? Yeah. Je suis déprimé ou je suis dépressif. Uh -huh. and, and it's a very big, uh, it's, yeah. yeah, I actually have a friend who's been through that, who's actually still going through that, mm. so she's been, um, she had depression for 20 years, yeah. and she was labelled bipolar, mm. and li literally she told me like this, so I had this bipolar label yeah. with me, and now she's okay, she's, branded, uh, yeah, mm. so now she's, uh, she got rid of her depression totally, and she's totally alive and fine, yeah. and and vibrant, but she still has this bipolar label mm. for life. Yeah. So in all her, you know, administrative or whatever paper, she's bipolar. So yeah, it means, yeah, totally. It's, so it's, and it's impacting her life in big ways. Like she course. cannot have a, a normal work. She, you know, totally. Um, but imagine if we did that with physical health. Imagine yeah. if we broke our leg. Yeah, that's. And then, and then <coughs> this is this is sort of a way to look at it, right? If you, if you break your leg, you're not thinking. Um, I am a broken leg. Yeah. I am a broken leg, yeah. and then identifying with the fact that you you are only a broken leg, and that you're always going to be a broken leg, and that becomes the center point of your identity. You no, know, if you break your leg, you go to the doctor, you go through the right physical therapy, 
your leg heals and, and you can move on with your mm-hmm. life. You know, like mental health and challenging times um, are exactly the same, but we're so uncomfortable with what we can't see, the intangibles, yes. like emotion and, and psychology and our psyches and our neurology, that it scares the shit out of us. And we don't know that that's, that's a process that we can apply, mm. that it's just a process of healing. Yeah. And we have to feel the pain. You know, if in order to heal your leg, when it's broken, you've got to go through those steps of learning to walk again. And it's not, if you didn't go through those steps, then you're never going to be able to walk on your leg. Mm-hmm. You've got to go through that same process when it comes to emotion. And once you've proven it to yourself once, and this is something for the listeners, whatever that pain point is in your life that you would love to work through, I dare you to go on the journey of healing that, feeling it fully, seeing who you are on the other side of that. Because once you've proven that to yourself, you will never be held back by pain mm-hmm. and, and emotion ever again. When I overcome, when I made the decision, and it was a decision to overcome the eating disorder and de-identify with that eating disorder, on the other side of that, I knew I was unstoppable. That no amount yeah. of, of failure and setback yeah. and, and emotional hardship was ever going to get in my way of self-realization and working through that. Yeah, definitely, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. I mean, the biggest pain in my life for us was the biggest uh, strength sure. now. Yeah. Now, because I allowed myself to go through it and totally process it. Mm. But you were saying something is very true. When, when we resist the pain, it just makes it bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger until it's just so big that you just have to do something yeah. or you die. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And um, we, we have a choice and we, what type of hard do you want when you resist yeah. it it's hard for a really long time <clears throat> when you can be brave and it is it's a brave thing to do to feel your pain yeah and feel your pain Rumi says it the cure for the pain is in the pain mm. if you feel it fully some it's gonna feel like you know the the night is always darkest before the dawn it's yeah. gonna feel very suffocating and it's gonna hurt yeah. um, but it's like a band-aid you know like as soon as it's so, as soon as the worst part is over it's done and that's like our, that's like feeling our emotions. They need acknowledgement. They need deep acknowledgement. And I'm passionate about helping younger people understand this because if you can develop those relationships with your emotions early on, then you can be more fluid in how you process and yeah. feel. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see people in my seminars who are sort of midway through their life or in the second half of their life and they're only just starting to do the work yeah. for the first time. Yeah. And the reason it hurts so much isn't because of just the pain you have in that moment, but all of the moments mm-hmm. you've ever hurt that you've never acknowledged yourself, yeah. that you've abandoned yourself. I had a um, mentor once explain it to me as the amount of pain that you feel in the healing journey is equal to the amount that you've abandoned yourself, and the process yeah. of healing is actually coming back to she coming back self. to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why is it so difficult to feel the pain in our society? Like we totally reject everything. Mm. And I'm thinking also of, um, don't worry, I read it, but there was a study on Facebook and all the social medias. And we only, or at least we tend to, only share good moments on Facebook and so on, right? So they identified in this study a new cause of depression. In, you know, we tend always to compare ourselves to others, which we shouldn't, but (laughs) we do it a lot of time. And when we do this with social media, we tend to think, oh, everything is just shining and beautiful yeah. for all these people because I they like just, yeah, yeah. They, they just never share the moments they struggle with. Mm. I so, try to. <laughs> Tell me if I'm I sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But yeah, that is definitely a disease of our culture. Mm. It's like um, false marketing. Yeah. 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 And it sets an unrealistic expectation. And I think as an adult, you somewhat have the ability to rationalize that. But for younger teenagers that have grown up I don't that, think you they have do, yeah. absolutely no ability. Yeah. And if there's teenagers on my social media, please tell me if I'm wrong in saying this. But it's hard to actually separate the truth from not the truth Mm-mm. because you haven't had the life experience to, you know, the older I get, the more I realize, well, I love people, but a lot of people, you know, full of, full of shit, really. They, so they don't really talk their talk <laughs> at all. And when yeah. you know that about people and you're not disappointed by that anymore, then you can sort of look at that and be like, okay, you can de-identify with it. Yeah, you can step yeah, back. You can step it. back. Yeah. And 
still have social media without it impacting you in that way. But mm -hmm. without that ability, it it sucks. You know, I made a commitment to these guys that I was gonna vlog more about the realities of what it takes mm -hmm. to, to live your dreams. Because I'm sick of not just people on their Instagram posting pretty pictures, but leaders, influential leaders, yes. getting up on stage and only sharing the parts of their journey yeah. that was success. Because guys, there's not a leader on the planet that's only had a journey of success, who's never doubted themselves, who's never struggled with their mental health, who's never had relationships break down, who, who's never come back after you know back-to-back -back travel to a partner that's totally feels abandoned and isolated, whatever that struggle is. Mm. These are real experiences that leaders go through that they're not sharing with yeah. you. They're not sharing it with you and it sets an unrealistic Completely. expectation. And then we see it on a micro level where people aren't actually, but it's, it's even worse because on for those individuals, I guess it's the same for everyone. When you're only sharing the best moments, you then have an identity and an image to uphold. So when you really need to be vulnerable with mm -hmm. the people around you, it increases the amount of fear you experience because you're like everything that I've told people I am is now at risk. I'm, I'm at risk of being exposed. And this is something I see more and more with the people I work with is this concept of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Which means, for those of you that don't know, when you have thoughts in your mind that are telling you that you're a fraud, that you're not, you know, you're not worthy of, of love, whatever that imposter is in your mind, it's that self-critic that hijacks your thoughts. And of course you're going to have a sense of imposter syndrome if you've only posted all of these incredible the moments, moments yeah. of your life and then you're having a breakdown and you feel like if I go to my friends and, and share this with them, you know, it, they, they're not going to understand at all where this is coming from because I haven't shared anything for so long. Yeah, right. Something else you were mentioning before is, um, is we really struggle to acknowledge what's not visible. Mm. And so I saw it again and again and again, people just plain, plainly not understanding what is mental health. Yeah. And saying things like, well, I'm kind of uh, caricaturing here, but not far from, oh, come on, get over it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. life is good, yeah. do your gratitude journal. Yeah. yeah, think positive. Think positive yeah. and you can do it. And Read the secret. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You'll be right, law of attraction. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's it's sad, but you know I try not to focus on that because I think that there is that it's the foundations of a conversation. Those things, practice gratitude and understand positive thinking, but don't think that simply by doing these things, that a change is going to happen because the doing is not the being. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a distinction. Yeah. So if you're trying to hijack all of your thoughts and just think positively, but you're not actually emotionally investing in those positive thoughts. If you can't feel them, then it's not going to, it's not going to change your reality because we attract what we are, not what we want to be. So whatever your vibration is right now is going to be what's reflected back to you. And the work is actually the embodiment of that. How do you, how do you experience the, the emotion? And I, mm. I do believe some cognitive processes, can achieve that. Like for me, repeating um, a simple mantra of "I'm awesome," right? That was my <laughs> that because I just hated myself so much. When I said that to myself every single day in the mirror when I was 17 and I was trying to heal um, from the eating disorder, after about three months, the the amount that that would make me feel sick started to ease because I got more comfortable mm. with saying that to myself. So I think if you really are in that dark place, things like positive thinking um, do have an effect, but don't expect it to be that. To be the, you know, uh, it's the magic one. It's a magic yeah. one, yeah. It's, it takes time and it takes practice and most of all it takes commitment. I'm committing, right? You've got to make a commitment to yourself. I commit to changing this narrative in my mind. And really every single day when you are practicing that, really be present with it, really. Mm. And that sincerity and that intention will eventually, depending on how much pain you're in, shift your focus from the negativity and the pain and, and help you look at life in a, in a different way. Yeah. Mm. Now, I remember something you said the other night when we were talking about all of, all of this and you were saying when you're 
when you went to this mental uh, health problem, whatever problem mm. it is, you only you tend to be very egocentric mm. mm -hmm. and see your pain, and it takes kind of all the place. And yeah. I remember you saying one thing that made you shift is understanding. Okay, it's not only me. Yeah. But how can I like so, relate to the yeah. world, and how can I serve to? Uh, Hundred percent, and people have had a real issue with me saying that before because really? well, um, yeah. But I, I feel over time when I've explained, it's been forgiven. But it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I think again, this idea of significance and making whatever we're identifying mm -hmm. significant, maybe that's for a leader, they're making their work significant. But for someone that's in chronic depression, they're actually making their pain really yeah. significant. Yeah. But ultimately, significance as a concept is self-oriented. Yeah, so this is quite, I want to explain this concept in a way that everyone can understand. Yes, but significance is always looking at the world through the lens of self. So when you're in a mental illness, that self-orientation means that you are only thinking about your pain. And every interaction you have, you're thinking about how is this person perceiving me? How am I being mm -hmm. looked at? You know, my, and how, how, how am I going to do with my pain today? And when your focus is so much on the self, especially when you have a significant pain body or you've made that pain body significant, it's, it's very trapping. So for me, a part of overcoming that was to actually start to, when I was present with people, my head would so loudly just be saying, they're looking at my weight, they're judging mm -hmm. me, they're like so much yeah. insecurity, to just gently try and actually take an interest in their world. Mm -mm what's present for you and the more that I was present with other people and took the focus off myself and started to become less self-oriented actually the more I started to feel relief and because I wasn't focused on my own pain but then the second great thing about that was I started to realize that I could actually be a uh, someone of value mm. to other people yeah and that was one thing that I struggled with so deeply was feeling like I had a, any value in the world. Mm -hmm. I felt like I, you know, the world would be better off without mm -hmm. me a lot of the time. So when I was when I started being present with other people and actually being conscious to serve other people, it started to disprove that belief system, and I started yeah, to, that started to, to yeah. shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of. Um, Something I also heard you say, and I find it beautiful about honesty. Like we can heal what we can't reveal, mm. and how it just shifts everything. Yeah. Just the moment we step into that, yeah. That's it. Yeah, you need to be able to be honest and reveal it. And don't. I, I know Adam and I were talking about this yesterday. Don't mm -hmm. um, wait till you have the perfect way of explaining something to have the conversation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it starts by if you don't know what to say start mm. by having a conversation and saying I don't know how to have this conversation that is having the conversation just being honest mm -hmm. where you're at is having the conversation yeah and it's I mean again it comes back to vulnerability and mm. I think I'm really seeing that the more honest you are the most you step in your vulnerability, then you, mm. you, you begin to touch people around you. That's and that's the, the way to a connection and to mm. understanding actually. Yeah. And being comfortable with yourself is really that key. Yeah. Because so I don't try to be vulnerable. You know, it's like yeah. coming back to the yeah. beginning of the conversation. <laughs> and this is why I think sometimes those processes in personal development can feel a bit um, Yeah, a bit fake, superficial. You know, yeah. superficial because yeah. you can't try. Like if you're not, if you're not comfortable with yourself, no amount of like breath work or whatever mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you haven't done the work on being comfortable in you you're probably not going to feel a huge shift yeah <laughs> but if you can start to be comfortable in yourself and actually start to go on the journey of self-love then you'll naturally be vulnerable because you have nothing to hide and i can just be myself because my self-esteem doesn't rely on your acceptance mm -hmm. you know i don't i'm not seeking validation in order to feel okay so if I'm okay in the presence of other people's rejection, then of course I'm going to be vulnerable because I'm not hiding anything. Yeah, you just said something really important, like the difference between acknowledgement and validation, mm. which seems, which for some people actually Huge is, difference. Though. Yeah, yeah. They, some people kind of mix it, but actually yeah. it's very, very different. It's coming from a very, very different place. Yeah, well, acknowledgement is, is actually being able to be fully present mm with um, what is happening for you and maybe the person that you're in a conversation with or, or the group. Whereas validation often is actually running away 
from yeah. acknowledging what's truly present mm. in the earth. So yeah. that's a very important distinction. For example, um, when I was not okay with myself, I would very much seek validation um, sexually. I wanted I wanted that validation mm. because I wasn't I didn't feel attractive. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel good enough. So because I wasn't able to acknowledge those deeper insecurities, I was seeking the validation mm. of, of other people. And there's a huge distinction between those two things. It's very important because to acknowledge isn't to validate. And it goes mm. the same the other way. If you're validating someone else, actually start to become sensitive of that because I think we do have an intuition for it. Mm -hmm. When someone's seeking our validation yes. versus someone that can actually really be with themselves yeah. and has the ability to acknowledge what's present with them. And often we get stuck in that two-way cycle, especially in relationships, intimate relationships. We let someone seek our validation because we like to be needed. And mm -hmm. then it creates this codependency that's really difficult to to separate from. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Gives, gives me back to your uh, something you do with these acknowledgement circles mm -hmm. where someone steps and, and just is acknowledged by the group. Yeah. And how just... Mm. Incredible, it can be for some people who never have. I mean, some I, I saw, yeah, I, I saw this work in other um, uh, situations, and it was kind of I like to say heartbreaking to see these men and women over 40, 50 mm. being acknowledged for the first time yeah. not validated but acknowledged. Yeah. And we have such a um, I mean, when it's the case, we have such a hard time just accepting yeah. the beauty that we are. That's it. It's completely crazy. Yeah, so much of um, so much of us by that point is so geared to deflect, mm. to just reject yeah. that that feeling of being seen um, because it's so unfamiliar. Yeah, the only way through that's practice, practice <laughs> receiving, practice being seen, and that can be really simple things. Like the next time someone um, acknowledges you for something, or, you know, compliments you. Um, instead of clinging to it, like like in a validation, in a sense of with a sense of validation, needing that, mm. you, there's a nuance there that's important, and I hope people understand. Or to deflect and reject, actually mm. just breathe it in, and that means don't. Um, some of the behaviours that you'll see when someone can't actually receive is they'll want to give it back to that person straight yeah. away. Oh, thank you, but actually you're so great, and yeah. you know that time you did this for me, you know, and that's a form of deflection. Yeah. Laughing or making a joke about it, that's also a form of um, deflection. Or diminishing or it. Or diminishing like, it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah it's not actually that great. Yeah. yeah, so all of these things, are, and everyone will have a different version of how that plays out for them. But instead, <laughs> actually just breathe it in, and for a moment just be present with that. Be like, okay, thank you, Yeah. thank you, and be grateful, and that helps anchor that in you and it will get more comfortable it will be more, and the more you can receive the more you can give it works yeah. both ways yeah you're filled up and then you have overflow and you can give that to others yeah yeah well that's a very big uh thing to understand and that's a very big uh, shift for many many people mm. coming to understand like yeah no it's yeah. all about me actually yeah if i'm full if i don't need the other ones then i can give and yeah and then what you get back is actually even bigger but you yeah. don't care anymore yeah. because that's you're not doing it yeah. for that yeah well, so we're getting to the end of the interview and I have a question that I ask everyone, uh -huh. but actually for you, I'm going to borrow your question because it's so <laughs> similar. Yeah. Usually I always ask what makes you feel alive, uh -huh. but you have a question that I like very much and maybe I will borrow it someday, sure, and which is what are you willing to die for? Mm, so it's a pretty intense question. Yes. You know, death is, um, again, a concept I think that we don't understand enough as, as a culture and as a society. Mm -hmm. And um, part of that is understanding that, you know, our physical death, the end of our life, is, is one death. We experience many deaths. Yeah. Rats of Passage teaches us that we experience many cycles of, of identity. And if you have had the same identity your whole life, I would look at that and actually ask, you know, what, mm -hmm. what about this identity that I'm really attached to? If you're sort of older, if you're just discovering what your identity is, and <laughs> but yeah. this idea of death and, and becoming comfortable with death, you know, first of all, understanding that there's more than one death. We go through a lot of figurative deaths, and then when you understand that, whatever you're willing to let go of in order to become the next iteration mm -hmm. of yourself, that's what I mean when I ask that question. Mm -hmm. What are you prepared to actually? How much? Um, how much commitment is within you to actually die 
as you are today for that next phase and that will be the thing that you can live for you know that will fully make you feel mm. alive that will give you the best quality of life and I know when I'm speaking and I'm spreading my message even in beautiful moments like this with another person when I feel deeply connected and a deep sense of love and gratitude it's a maybe an intense thing for a lot of people to hear but I'm, I would happily die mm. because I'm dying doing exactly what I love yeah. and that that for me nothing will ever fulfill me more than more than that and to find that is to really look inside of yourself and ask, what is the thing that's more important to me than all of my shit? What's the thing that will give me that courage when I feel like I'm, um, I'm lacking it? You know, what's, what's worth enough to me? What's worth enough for me to actually let go and go through that pain and go through all of these processes we're talking about? And that'll be the thing that if you align yourself to, it's like this whirlwind of, of energy and, mm -hmm. and motivation and courage and all of those things that people feel they lack, you automatically be energized with all of those characteristics. Yeah. Um, I, th I want everyone to find that. <laughs> <laughs> that thing. Wow, mm. yeah. That speaks to me to a very personal level because, you know, I'll share this with you, but mm. two members of my family committed suicide. Mm. And that was one of my, my questions. How can come that someone is happy to die instead of can die happily, you know, mm. can be happy at the moment of death? Yeah. And that breaks my heart. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think it's, um, there's, there's so much to that. And I guess the starting point is to understand that they, that acceptance is the key, mm -mm. you know, because we, we can never see the world through someone else's eyes and we never know what they were they were dealing with. Like, who are we to say that someone left this planet um, by taking their own life in a way of um, uh, not peace? You mm. know, potentially they were at a place where they were actually at peace. And I, I do believe that in some instances that is, that's what, that's what happens. That's, that's the decision that that they have the free will to, to make and, and this idea around suicide of um, interjecting and forcing someone because we think it's wrong you know and it's, it's a very big conversation in itself yeah. but just to open yeah, your yeah that would be another yeah, interview all by itself which i would be happy to, yeah, to have actually but. i think that's an important conversation <laughs> yes. because so many people struggle yeah. to come to terms and find peace and acceptance when someone, it feels so unresolved, understandably, when someone ends their own life. Why did that happen? I could have done more. No, but, but the reality is that was that person's choice. Yeah. And maybe that that's what they felt was genuinely the right thing for them in that moment. Yeah, that's actually what's breaking my heart. Mm. That the only possibility mm. that they can see is, is death. Yeah, to be in that yeah. darkness and to feel yeah. that trapped. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can all play a role in preventing that, and it's yeah. through acknowledgement you create um, you create pathways of possibility for mm. people. But when they feel unseen, it feels so suffocating that how do I get how do I get out of that? Um, and we can all play a role without having to force someone. Like in Australia, that we still um, we can still restrain someone when they're experiencing you know suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts, for example. And that's I don't feel like force is ever the way. No, Ever. It, it feels like reinforcing the pain anyway, yeah, and it, it doesn't it, feel like, oh, I'm being understood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you're actually, I'm trying, I want to move in this direction and you're, you're forcing me to stop. Yeah. It's a very painful thing for someone that's already in pain. Yeah. What about if you actually change that to, I honour the pain that you're in yeah. and you're allowed to actually mm -mm. do whatever you need to do, however, I love you and there's another way. Yeah. And to approach it like that is a very different approach, oh, yes. and it scares people so much because what if you know what if that person? It's we can't come to terms with the idea that that person still might choose that option. Mm -hmm. But if, unless we can respect someone's what I call their sovereignty, and we're all sovereign, we mm -hmm. all in our soul, in in who we are as a as a sovereign being, is is sovereign, is free. So I need to honor that freedom in you, irrespective of how much I think you're making decisions that I don't want you to make. Mm -hmm. I have to accept that I see that through the filter of my own bias. And to project that onto you is to actually suffocate you. Yeah, it's negating the pain you're in. Yeah, actually. exactly. And 
I mean, I feel like many people misunderstood suicide in the term of they want to die. They're actually, most of them, they don't want to die. Mm. They want to live, and but the they want to end the pain. Yeah. And they don't see any other solution or yeah. possibility. So mm. I totally uh, actually agree with you on that. Mm. Like acknowledging the pain, yeah, it's mm. awful. And let's find another way because there is, the, the crazy thing is there is always a, another always. possibility. Yeah. But, you know, it's like this, um, Someone I, I like talks about tunnel vision, so it's mm -hmm. like looking yeah, inside a tunnel and all you see what's the, at the end of the tunnel but you don't see what's around Absolutely. and it's just stepping back one or two feet. It's an extreme version of something all of us are experiencing yes. all the time. Right? Yes. We all have filters, we all have a version, maybe some people is like this, maybe other people is uh -uh. like this, but totally. we all have blinkers unless you're enlightened and you can see 360 degrees. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah, the best preventative strategy of that is to, if you can keep acknowledging, like one of my favorite things to do for the people I love is I can see the parts, if I love something in the people I love that they don't yet love about themselves, mm -hmm. I'm seeing something and I'm holding a space for them to go into. Yeah. So I'll make a point of continually acknowledging the thing that I love about them. Say if you have an, a friend that is um, an incredible um, writer, for example, mm -hmm. but they don't believe that they're a, a writer or they're not spending time writing. As a friend, for you to be like, I love the poet that exists inside of you and I love when you write and I love what comes out of you and who you become when you write. By reinforcing that, it's like you're breathing life mm -hmm. into this part of them that is tunnel visioned and you're expanding. And they might still be rejecting it, but on some level... It begins to it, change. Yeah, yeah, it begins to shift. And yeah. we can all do that for people, but it starts with acknowledgement. Yeah. Don't, and it's so hard when someone's in so much pain, you open your own fear, and then it's like all you can see is the pain. I challenge you, even when someone's massively vulnerable and in pain, try to see the part of them that isn't their pain. Yeah. Try to speak yeah. to the part of them that is beautiful and free and sovereign and talented and you know whatever we all have these things that we love about people um if you can show up in their space and, and put your focus on that and try not to focus on on the pain they're thinking about their pain enough they don't need yeah. you to think about their pain to acknowledge their pain for sure but then also acknowledge these other the beauty they cannot see yeah, yeah. exactly yeah Wow, so yes, we, <laughs> we're going to end up here, but it could be a, a, whole, yeah. a whole new uh, conversation. Where can we find you? So you wrote a book, Love, sorry, Love Out Loud. Yeah, that's it. And I love how it sounds in other accents. You know, I just, re uh, I just realized the other day that it was LOL. Yeah, you, I'm so. trying to hijack the time. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you. It's works for me. <laughs> Yeah, so the... Yeah, the book, where, so where I'd, love, I'd love all of you guys to um, to take a look at that. It has a lot of these principles written mm -hmm. throughout it. But my socials is a good place, so just Nicole Gibson, um, or my website, nicolegibson.com.au. Okay, and I will... Oh, I will put all of this on the page and the mm -hmm. TED talk you did. So, because yeah. we didn't touch at all on your story, but it's already in... Yeah, you'd be in, able to uh, find it. Yeah, in many of videos. And guys, go and watch the TED talk, it's worth it. It was these 20 minutes, completely. Thank you. Um, and for these guys, I just want to say, I'm going to tag Claire. I couldn't find the tag before this live, but I'll tag her so you should follow her and support her podcast and her work as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Thank you Pleasure. for the work you're doing. And uh, I mean, I could see what you're doing the other day. So the life you were inspiring and sparkling <laughs> in all of these people. Wow, then the world needs more, oh, uh, more workers you. For, like you. So. Thanks Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Mm. Thank you guys for listening. Thank yeah. you. And till next time, let's spark a life. Yes, please. Bye.